0: I think the future in architecture is to create something that shifts. The form shifts with nature. I would love to design a museum or a space station or even a structure outside of this planet, of course, to be a shapeshifter according to the sun, the wind, the rain. thats That would be my dream project. This is Professional Confessionals,
1: Stuhi Lee Hartford shares her passion for architecture and the many challenges inherent in starting an architectural firm at a young age. Thanks so much for joining us, Stuhi. Let's dive right in. Tell us about your professional journey. Where did you go to school? At what point did you know you wanted to pursue a career in
0: architecture? And did you ever consider a different career? Great question. Thank you. I think I dabbled in a little bit of fashion as a child, And I think if if I went in the direction of my aunt and uncle's encouragement, I may have become a doctor, but I knew I wanted to be an architect when I was about nine or 10. I think I was nine or 10 years old. I don't remember the exact year. That's really early. Oh, uh, I guess so. I guess so. And did I have doubts along the way? There were times when, yeah, I couldn't pay my bills. You know, I, w- I was doubtful, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing anything else, honestly.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. So where did you go to school?
0: I went to Pratt Institute uh, for my bachelor's in architecture, and I'm yet to pursue master's, but I've started a business our architectural firm, so it's hard to imagine going to grad school at this point, but... Probably what really helped me launch my architectural education was at Technical High School of Brooklyn. Oh. And they had separate majors in that high school, and I chose architecture because I knew, you know, since 10, uh, 9, 10 years old, that I, would, I wanted to become an architect. Who were your role models within architecture? Did you look up to anyone? It's hard to say because it's always changing. Let's see, today... Oh, gosh, that one is hard because, you know, for example, I love the meticulousness and the fluid lines of Zaha Hadid and how she thinks everything in detail and everything is cohesive, you know, from walls to ceilings to the floor to the roof. I love what she does. I heard that she was a horrible person, so that, you know, (laughs) knocks off a point. (laughs) And there are other... uh, Amazing architects that I admire, Herzog and Demeron, for example, their work is classic at times, but also very exploratory. There's an amazing firm out there in LA, young firm called Alier and Wu Collaborative. I admire their work a lot because they study the lines and how lines make architecture. Oh, my recent discovery is this Korean name, Moon Hoon. And he has a lot of fun with it. And I hope to someday to liberate myself so that I can do that kind of fun architecture.
2: Your love of architecture is obvious from the way you speak about these other architects. So what drew you to architecture? Why architecture? And what is it that you love about it?
0: It's hard to explain all it all together. I did write an essay, one-page essay essay, that early stage when I started to gravitate towards space and architecture was when I was maybe um, seven years old and I was in Korea, playgrounds, you know, and we were just playing on the sand because the school yard had sand covered. So we discovered that when it's wet, you know, so when it had just rained and you get to go play outside after rain, I started to draw a floor plan. It was just very natural for me to just draw a floor plan and we would play house on it. And we didn't get to do too much of that, but that struck a chord in me, just explored my imagination as a child. And it was a lot of fun. And then I would design um, dollhouses, but in flat sheet pages in my notebooks so each page you know was a living room at different rooms right so each page you know one was a living room and then the next one was kitchen with the dining table set up and I would stick my paper dolls into the sheets so those were the early signs and then the um, the aha moment when I realized that I really wanted to be an architect was this was comical because um, I was at somebody's house and my stepmother's friend had, I think it was a house and garden magazine in her bathroom, and I saw before and after renovation photos, and I said, that's it, that's exactly what I, what I want to do, I want to be an architect. But at that moment, it was very humbling because it was bathroom and kitchen renovations, you know, <laughs> and looking back, I'm thinking, oh, you know, why not when I looked at the Chrysler building or, you know, Metropolitan Museum, it is it was kind of comical looking back. It was about <laughs> bathroom renovations. Well,
1: I don't know. There's something about the, the comfort of home that, and improving those spaces that is
0: really important. Yes, actually, that reminds me. I mean, we were, our family, you know, was poor. And so it struck a chord in me thinking, oh, we don't have to live like this. You know, of course, I didn't know how much money was, going to, you know, go into bathroom renovations. But, you know, I realized that I could make a difference in the built world someday.
1: Were there key moments in your
0: career that lifted your skill or were a key to being successful in your field? One was when I was an intern working for Hugh Hardy, and um, I got to work on this incredible project called Bridge Market. And that was a project that was in his office for 20 years. The developer wanted to develop that Queensboro Bridge underbelly on the Manhattan side. And they had a lot of objections from the neighbors. And so it took about 20 years um, before it finally came to fruition. And I got the privilege to be the intern who helps draft these final drawings and take it to construction. I mean, I I was not the contractor, but I was the person who would, you know, have to orchestrate all the answers when the construction company had some questions. So that nearly almost killed me. (laughs) 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 But as an intern, that was an an incredible experience to see a project come to life under a bridge, you know, an architectural space. And we also had a modern pavilion juxtaposed in front of the the bridge. And that was incredibly rewarding moment. And that gave me a false uh, confidence that I could start my own practice at a young age. So I started... Our firm when I was 28, and I didn't know what I was doing. So to take a little step back, um, so working on the bridge market project burnt me out, and so I needed to take a year off. So I went and applied for a Fulbright scholarship to Korea, and so I went and did some, you know, deep root searching journey through architecture and getting in touch with my family. And so after that, I came back thinking that I was going to write a book on it, but I felt that in order to write that book, I needed to start my own firm because I felt that I was I didn't know anybody. And so I was not going to have any clients, and therefore my husband will support me working for <laughs> someone else. So long story short, um, that's how it all began. And starting our own firm without any knowledge about how to run a business and then having kids on top of that really knock me you know to my knees so that took many years to pick myself up from that and to the point you know because you're just surviving with the basics it was really difficult to think beyond just paying the bills and so we would take projects that are just to pay in order to pay the bills you know and so that was not helping our creativity at all and then one day, um, so when the kids were about four and six years old, I got this opportunity that landed on my lap. It was what they called an RFQ, Request for Qualifications. And it was a prospective project in city of Stamford to design an outdoor ice rink and fountain in um, Mill River Park and a uh, park facility building. And something tug at my heart and I felt like I was born to do this job. What was really fascinating about that mental journey, all the the noise, the background noise, all the distraction just dropped off and I was going to get this job. You mm. know, Certain blinders propelled me forward to reach out to large firms to um, team up with us. There are other side stories that led to this, but I ended up reaching out to Arab, um, the Arab engineers who's, you know, very well known for Sydney Opera House and many other magnificent structures around the globe. So I reached out to them and I reached out to wet design, the number one, you know, fountain uh, designers in the world and HLB lighting, ASW. So I, I reached out to industry leaders and who was I? I was nobody, <laughs> but this certain passion, um, really helped me forget about all my insecurities and just I you know and I somehow convinced them to come along the ride with me and we were up against much bigger firms firms who had already worked for the client the firms the giant engineering firms a couple of our former bosses and long story short we won them over we we were underdog and we we won the job and how the job proceeded from there is a different story. Um, you know, that's a reality check. You know, that's a different book that I'm going to write. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was an amazing mental um, overdrive. It was just an incredible experience that I wish I could repeat, that I want to repeat again. And I wish that I can teach that to our young architects or young professionals because it was, it was a mental mental ride. It took a financial hit, I have to say. Like, if so, pursuing that project, I counted, you know, because we keep logs of our time. If we were to bill somebody for the time that we spent on that, it was around $45,000. Yeah. And that's probably small compared to what other firms spend on pursuing a project. I heard some superstar architect paying out of his own pocket. You know, $50,000 for a model just to enter into a competition. It's not a balanced uh,
2: playing field. A it's level playing yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I never thought about the fact that architects need to do work that is speculative. I guess it could be considered sales efforts.
0: Yeah, definitely. There are different forms of sales effort, you know, including wining and dining, you know, with the prospective clients and charming them. In my, you know, the last 17 years of trying to get our firm up and running without any business education was, I've observed a very different form of architectural business.
1: So is is there a melding of a certain kind of aptitude, natural ability or affinity For certain things that makes architecture a good fit for someone? Mm,
0: That's a good question. I think it's such a wide field in my opinion. And so if I'm to take the liberty and rephrase that, you're asking, is there a particular personality that fits into becoming an architect or...
1: Not just personality, but like an affinity for drawing, for example. I mean, do you have to be a good drawer? Do you have to be able to think in a certain way? What are the the qualities that make architecture a good fit for you?
0: Because there's so many different aspects of architecture, I think knowing how to draw is a good skill to have as an architect. But these days, computers are just taking over so much that, you know, you can draw you know, with CAD and Revit and all, all different software. And there are many other software that allows you to express what you want. You know, now like Paper 53. Well, Paper 53 is actually you do have to control with your hands more often. But SketchUp, you know, you just click mouse here and click, 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 you know. So that has enabled people who don't know how to draw to still enjoy architecture to create something. There are also architects who specialize in, say, technical aspect of it. So they may not necessarily have to be artistic, but say good at problem solving or in putting together problem solving skills with technical skills and understanding how a curtain wall is hung on a building and how the air pressure is uh, is impacting the water infiltration, all of that, you know, that kind of nuance can go into the uh, right brain-oriented architects. So there, there's a wide range. So I wouldn't discourage anyone because they're lacking a certain type of skill set or talent. There's a wide range of feel, um, a section of architecture that you can take on.
2: It's so fascinating that, Technology has, in effect, opened it up to more people to be able to practice.
0: Right. And, and then there's another twist to that. There are so-called designers who don't necessarily have a degree in architecture, but they will hire the people who can draw for them, and they'll just get certain visions out there, And then there are people who rehash, you know, a little piece of this and a little piece of that, and they put together a beautiful space and clients love them. Hey, you know, what makes the world go round?
1: Are there any misconceptions about architecture that you'd like to dispel? I think we just kind of covered one about the drawing, uh, at least for me anyway. I always thought that that was tightly linked
0: to being
1: able to be an architect, which
0: now I know I'm wrong. Right. No, you're not wrong. So people often ask me if I need to be good in math, you know, and again, computer takes care of most of that for you. You know, you draw from one point to the other, you know, and as long as you don't have number related dyslexia, I think you'll be okay.
2: Does the computer software prevent you from creating a structure that would collapse?
0: (laughs) Uh, I don't think so. I think that still needs input from the engineers. (laughs) Are there any aspects of your career that you'd like to change in terms of the field of architecture? Thank you for asking me that question. As far as the direction of our firm and where my career is, it's really not satisfying my creative needs. And so I am actually in the middle of conscientiously pursuing more creative projects that really allow me to do what I want to express I know architecture is also about meeting clients needs there are many different types of clients out there the very bottom of the poll (laughs) is uh, uh, you know oh I just need you to draw the permit drawings you know can you just I I have the floor plan already kind of drawn you know can you stamp it for me you know uh, that kind of clients and then the next level of clients is, well, I really liked what I saw in the magazine. Can you copy that for me? And, or I like this piece and that piece. And can you, you know, compile it, you know? So, and then the the clients that we had at Mill River Park and they said, you tell me, you tell me what you want to build. That was a great Liberty to a certain extent. And then we had to deal with the board <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with, you know, many different opinions. So there's budget constraints too, of course, you know. And so the long rounded way of answering that is that I would really like to push our practice to be the creative powerhouse.
2: So architecture is this very interesting field that is both practical and creative and artistic. I can't think of too many that, are, that comprise both aspects so strongly.
0: Right, right.
2: And I guess the jobs that you come across pull you in one direction or the other or somewhere in between and for you it sounds like your ideal projects are the ones that you can express the most artistic creativity on
0: right and and I should add to that I want to move people to create a space where people would feel lifted you know spiritually and make it worthwhile for somebody to visit that space so that's the ultimate ultimate goal and of course to meet the client's need and to keep the rain off the you know build you know uh, out of the building and all those technical needs but it's also what's really invigorating is to work with those special engineers you know who really have those expertise dialed in you know
1: knowing what you know now is there anything
0: that you'd do differently i wish i had an idea of what it meant you know to start my own practice and that's my next goal when i make a certain mark i do want to share with the younger generation you know how to start and run a successful practice however i do understand that things will change by the time you know things change so quickly these days that running a business running an architectural firm may be different for the next generation yeah i don't know and i'm i'm trying to figure that out as as i'm pushing our firm, you know, to be the the creative force.
1: So it it sounds to me like when you engage in a career in architecture, in order to have your own firm, you really do need to learn about business before you do that. They don't go hand in hand necessarily. It's something that you need to pursue on one end, the architecture certification and degrees, and then on the other hand, also look into business practices and, and that kind of thing. It's not part of the architectural program. You mean
2: in schools? Yeah, in schools. Correct. Do you think that it should be the business side should be taught in schools?
0: Yes, actually, that's an ongoing debate that architects have. Some architectural school feels that you know we should really push the kids' creativity while they're in school because when they go out there, they their creativity is squandered. You know, so why we why do we do that in school? There have been uh, recent talks from. You know, famous architects, there are famous architects who are now really trying to push the education to include business aspect of it. And I think it is important. It is at least important to know what they're getting themselves into because, you know, taking on the projects just to pay the bills is not fun. And you begin to feel like, you know, why am I doing this? This is not, this, this project is not expressing who I am and you also have to express who your client is you know there has to be some beautiful melding happening and it's really hard to hit that sweet spot and pay the bills and keep your employees happy you know and keep your clients happy and pursue next projects while you're working on the most fascinating projects that you know at the current moment and so it does take a lot of your brain power you know to to do it all and so i feel like i'm getting us hang of it now on the business part. Uh, let me rephrase that. I, I feel like I'm getting a hang of what goes into running a, a business. I don't have it nailed down yet, but at least now I know. I've been observing other firms enough so that I know what my next steps are. That's, that's all I can say for now. Yeah. What advice
1: would you give to someone who's considering a career in architecture?
0: Not a short answer. Oh boy. (laughs) I said, give me a call and we'll go out for a coffee for an hour. (laughs) Let me think. Um, Of course, you know, following your passion is number one importance, right? And being able to pay your bills while you're pursuing your passion, you know, is important. And knowing yourself. So I did a lot of self-analyzing during the process so for students who are pursuing architecture, I think it's, it's great to, you know, start looking at magazines, start talking to professionals in the field, start looking into schools and what kind of schools. Some schools provide only four-year program in U.S. and some, um, but typically, you know, you need a five-year uh, bachelor degree to be able to sit for an exam, license exam yeah, there's a lot to do but these days there's so much information online. I guess a good way to start is there are two organizations. One is American Institute of Architects, uh, has great resources AIA.org. And then there's the National National Accrediting uh, Board. There's also NCARB, I believe it's ncarb.org as well and that's a national accrediting board. For schools as well as preparing young architects to take exams, you know, so those two are great resources. Does mentorship play a role in architecture? Absolutely. There are firms that uh, provide mentorship internships. Some firms pay for internships, some don't, and uh, definitely, you know, it helps. Very enthusiastic um, aspiring student will, you know, reach out to whoever they know, and it's really good to. Get your foot in the door. That first foot in the door definitely opens up other connections and yeah, definitely talk to people in the field.
1: Is there anything that you've always wanted to do or achieve that you haven't yet?
0: To live to my own expectations?
1: It sounds like you have very high expectations of yourself, Jihee.
0: Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my my little mom. I call her in Korea, your uncle, younger than your father, is called little dad. And so, and his wife is my little mom. I think she's the one who really instilled that in me. What does a dream project look like for you? Doesn't have to be real.
1: What would be like fabulous for you to be able to create?
0: I think the future in architecture is to create something that shifts. The form shifts with nature, right? And so I would love to design a museum or a space station or even a structure outside of this planet, of course, to be a f- shapeshifter according to the sun, the wind, the rain. That's, that would be my dream project.
1: Wow, that sounds fascinating.
2: And beautiful. I hope. (laughs) When you've designed something on paper and it becomes a reality in the world, it's built, you're happy with it. (laughs) Right. I mean, that must feel just wonderful.
0: Actually, it is. Sometimes I'm torn, which do I like better, design or construction? Because the reality of construction is so amazing. Just today, we were at a construction site and... I got to work with a demolition contractor. They did such a fantastic job. I told them, I said, I've never thought a demolition could be work of art because they did such a beautiful work, took pride in what they did. And so when I work with people in the field, it is just so rewarding because they're the one who's putting in all the hard work and putting... And bringing life, you know, to what we have drawn. And so I really love construction, you know, construction phase. So it is very rewarding to see that come to life. And it feels like a child of your own, right? And then to have to send that off out into the real world, that moment does really feel like a postpartum depression. And it it's really hard to let go sometimes, yeah.
2: Do you ever wish the structure was yours after you built it that you'd like to
0: own it? Own it? That's yes, actually, yes, I have, I have, but I know that it would bother me so much because why isn't this switch here? You know, I meant to put that there. I'm like, oh darn it, I should have thought of that. So I think I'll be tormented that I do go back and forth, you know, whether I should just live in a, a house that you know, I you know, historic homes, for example, you know, just live with the. W- what it is, you know. Otherwise, you'd be rethinking your decisions exactly as as you're going through your day to day.
1: That's interesting.
0: As part of my creativity, and I guess to finish my thought, you know, of the book that I, I started when I came back from my Fulbright research in Korea is that you know I I had to let it sit for a while and for a long while because of trying to make ends meet and then and trying to raise kids and run a practice at the same time, I had to kind of put that aside. And I was always so mad at myself for not finishing that. But now, actually, it's becoming a really good therapy and a way to write my manifesto of what my next chapter is going to be. So actually, I'm really glad to have that project in my back pocket. That's been a good one. And that journey to Korea was really powerful powerful and also eye opening beyond you know my imagination so to be able to write that in my own words i'm not going it. because who knows what the editors will do to it but it has been a good therapy and i hope that that will be my launching pad for my next chapter
1: so something that we didn't touch
0: upon where were you born tegu south korea and Seogu so is, if you look at the peninsula, it's a southwest uh, part of of the peninsula and uh, South Korea. It is an industrial city, but it's also famous for apples, <laughs> as as far as I know. It might have changed since since I grew up. Um, and then um, and then we moved to Jeju Island because originally that's where my parents were from. My father and mother, uh, they were born in Jeju. And so when my father came to United States to study psychology, uh, my mother and my siblings moved in with my grandmother on Jeju Island. So I have some memory of Tegu, but mostly of Jeju. Jeju. Growing up in Jeju Island. And when did you come to the States? When I was eight going on nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first memory... Of landing in Michigan. The first holiday was St. Patrick's Day, and the teachers were making green eggs and hams. That was the funniest <laughs> memory. <laughs> yeah, talk about being dropped into a foreign land on a
1: really peculiar day yes. when so many people are covered in, in green. <laughs>
0: But, but and then I it, happened to marry Irish American, you know. So, <laughs>
2: like,
0: they, I guess it connected? made an impact. <laughs> Sub- <laughs> I'm sure, subconsciously.
1: But then you ended up in New York because you you went to Stuyvesant, right?
0: Uh, uh, Brooklyn Tech, Brooklyn Tech. Tech. Um, so I I ended up in New York City because my father's um, uh, new wife was in New York City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's how we ended up in Long Island City, Queens, and then to Sunnyside. Yeah, I still have fond memories of Queens. And as an architect, it's really conflicting because Queens is notorious for ugly buildings. And But somehow I find a certain affinity to Queens, and I'm trying to figure out why. And I recently discovered that an artist, whose name I can't remember, I'm sorry recently did photo documentary of bizarre architecture in Queens, and I somehow empathized <laughs> with <laughs> that body of work.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Juhi.
2: Thank you. Yes, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, professionalconfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.